This morning's reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, James. Good morning. It's uh, great to be here with you all and to see you here together this morning on this wet Sunday in Tucson. Um, my name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I want to let you know I have a stutter. Um, I walked outside this morning and this weird substance was coming from the sky and that's what happened. My body just reacted. No, I, I always have it. But um, it is weird though, right? Tucson doesn't know what to do uh, in, on days like this. But um, we have a lot to get into this morning together as a church as we um, continue in our series where we've been walking through looking at the person and character of Jesus. And, and, um, and so I'm excited to continue in that together this morning in Mark chapter, uh, chapter 3. But before I do, um, I want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's Word, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something important with you. But first, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, if you don't have a Bible with you, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will make sure you have one. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene ningún Biblia, eso es un Regalo a usted y esta mañana estamos en el libro de Marcos. Um, so again, we're, uh, if you don't have a Bible, please keep this, okay? We want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's Word. And um, as we uh, prepare to get into that together, uh, I want to first make you aware of something um, significant that we have coming up. So we as a church um, believe in membership, and um, it's um, and I'll briefly explain what that is and what it isn't, and um, and then also give you a, a way to learn more about that and how to get further involved in that. So um, people who would call this their home church and would come to redemption and say, "This is where I grow and, and serve and learn and uh, and and give and live alongside others in community." Um, for, first of all, that all that said, that doesn't make you a member. Uh, to be a member means you've gone through the membership class and you've, and you've heard who we are in de depth and then um, we've met together and then you sign a, a document and then uh, the church signs a document as well. And it's a, it's a relationship that um, we choose to use the biblical term of covenant relationship. Now, unlike other biblical covenants, it's not unending, it's not Finding, but it is a, a time where in an age and a culture and a day where we hold commitments very flippantly and loosely, this is saying, um, this is our agreement to you. And then you're saying, this is my agreement to the church. And there's a mutual understanding of commitment to one another. So all that said, um, because of our kind of newness as a church plan and just some different dynamics, we've chosen to go about it this way. Okay, so this is... Um, 
What we're going to do is Redemption Gateway, right? Older brother in Phoenix has all the resources. And no, they don't. They're, we love Gateway and are thankful for them because they have videotaped um, walking through the entire membership packet, which is a 50-page packet. Um, it's 50 pages because all the scriptures are in there. Um, and, so, and so it's an opportunity to watch those videos, hear that walkthrough, hear it explained. Then... We swoop in and we're going to hold a um, two hour or, or an um, um, hour and a half time on Sunday, February 24th, where if you've watched the videos, we'd invite you to come. And that's where we'll highlight some things um, from them. And then we'll also give opportunity for you to ask questions that may have come up or said, okay, they explained it this way. How would you say that? Or, you know, however that might be. And then from there, if you want to continue on and become a member, then you would meet with one of the pastors or elders from the church. And then we would walk through uh, that. And then we'll have a formal um, membership installation here. So um, again, please come to that if you watch the videos. Where are the videos you ask, right? You're wondering? Well, they're on the website. Um, if for some reason, like me, you struggle to navigate the World Wide Web, then um, you can, uh, we can help you with that, how to find them more pointedly. But I think we'll have a direct link to those videos in the email that we send out each week. If you don't get that email, fill out a connect card and say that you want to be on that email list. And we'll have social media and other things like that where you can find all that information. So um, the last thing I'll say about it is, even if you have an idea like, hey, I don't think I'm going to become a member, or I know I love this church, this is my home church, but I don't know that I agree on this or that with it, I would still encourage you and perhaps even challenge and invite you to watch the videos and to come to that. Because even if at the end of it, um, one of us says, hey, it's not a good idea to become a member at this time, it's still a great way to just understand and, and love better. That was perfectly timed. <laughs> So that said, um, there that is. If you have any questions about that, again, please put that down on a Connect card or shoot us an email or something, and we want to make sure everyone's in the know, all right? Amen? We tracking? All right. Let me go ahead and pray as we get into Mark 3. And I want to say it's been joked around a bit and mentioned this morning, but I just feel um, compelled to pray this morning for the Super Bowl. And also, um, I'll explain why in a minute, and then I'll judge you for laughing. But... Um, <laughs> No, actually, though, Mark, a uh, good friend of ours in the church here, and um, was baptized here, and he's working back with the kids, but he asked me to pray for the Super Bowl, and I don't know what specifically Mark had in mind about praying for the Super Bowl, but, but for me, I just even look back at my own childhood and just different memories, often for me, a lot of broken ones. And a lot of people, I know we have a couple people in our church who work in different aspects of law enforcement and things. And uh, Super Bowl Sunday can be a place where a lot of brokenness is on full display. A lot of domestic abuse, um, a lot of drunkenness and um, just bad decisions and even some um, systemic um, evils that are out there really come to into the light on Super Bowl Sunday as well. So um, sorry to be Debbie Downer, sorry, not sorry, because right, we as God's people want to pray about areas that are broken. So let's go ahead and pray together. Um, Lord Jesus, as we come before your word and we look at your person and, and how you interact with sin and brokenness in the world around us, Lord, um, in the world that you chose to break into and to restore, to call your own, to die 
Lord, to call your people back to yourself and then, Lord, to ultimately one day restore all things and make all things new and usher in your perfect kingdom where things will be the way they ought to be. Lord, we recognize that right now that's not the case. And as we've said um, this morning, while you are sovereign and present and ruling over all things, there is so much sin in our world, in our community, Lord. Sin uh, actively and then also just things that are the result of sin in a broken world. We know that as we'll look at this morning, you are angry over it and you grieve over it. So Lord, I pray that through our time in your word, you will, you will lead us to respond appropriately, Lord, to respond in faith and trust and hope in you. And then from there, Lord, to engage brokenness, Lord, with love and anger and grief and compassion. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So what we're walking through this morning is we're looking at another picture of Jesus. As we've seen throughout this whole series, we're getting different, different um, kind of exposures to how Jesus relates with different aspects of brokenness and how he, do, how he relates with the people, usually the people in authority and power and how they relate with those who are experiencing brokenness or pain um, in some way. And so what we'll see this morning as we look at this story that, that James read through these short six verses is we see yet again a, a sharp contrast of, of Jesus in his perfect love contrasted with, with sinful judgment. And so what we'll see this morning, first we'll look at how judgment is blind and apathetic and unjust. But Jesus in his perfect love sees and grieves over and deals with sin. So first turn with me in Mark chapter three, we're gonna look at judgment first, right? You can gotta save the best till last, right? So we're gonna look at this judgment and look at um, what comes about when people continue to walk in brokenness or in sinfulness, which in short means not God, okay? It means I'm gonna do things my way and we live in a world, as we've talked about, saturated with that, right? So we're gonna look at what that looks like. These, in this case, these religious leaders, these Pharisees. So picking right up where we see that judgment is blind, we're gonna skip into verse four, okay? So um, Jesus, Jesus sees what's going on, right? We'll get to that in a moment, but, and, and he calls out this brokenness in verse four. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save or to kill? But they were silent. And then it goes on that they looked around with anger, but their silence, right? Now you might be saying, well, silence is deafness, not blindness, but, 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 but the blindness, okay, they're deaf to what Jesus is saying, but they're blind to all sorts of things going on. Okay, they're blind to, first of all, this man. And again, the way we've walked through this even, we've seen people that are blind. We've seen that, that Jesus gives sight. And it's so often people who think they see clearly, like these people, the religious among their day. Okay, and again, some of us probably need to understand ways we relate with this, okay, that we think, oh, we get it right, right? Like we know all the verses, we sing all the right songs, we vote the right way, we carry ourselves the right way, we have all the right bumper stickers, whatever it might be. And yet what Jesus is exposing here, he's saying, listen, you're, you're blind and he calls them out and yet they don't even see their own need for healing. 
Okay, first of all, they're blind to this, this man who's in need. And we'll talk about him in a mo- moment. They're blind to his pain. They're blind to what he's, what he's gone through. But they're also blind to their own need for healing. They, they're relating with Jesus with this assumption that they've got it all figured out. And this man who's kind of a con in, in for, for their own agenda, for their own plan. And they, and they basically relate with Jesus in such a way to try to trip him up. And they're so obsessed with the law that they're blind to their own sinfulness. This was one of the commentaries that I read that pointed out this is helpful to look at, right? So they're upset about what Jesus is doing on the Sabbath, right? That's a, they have a distorted view of um, the fourth commandment of the 10 commandments, right? Which is keep the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath, they have a distorted view of that, which Jesus calls out time and time again, okay? Because the Sabbath was good. God's people were, hear me, still are called to observe the Sabbath, okay? And the Sabbath, um, the meaning, the thrust behind the Sabbath was to remember that God is a God who saves, that God is God and we are not. And so in this moment, an opportunity for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath, right, a picture, a reminder of the God who saves, they have such a distorted view of that that they're willing to break two other commandments. All right, because as we'll learn in a moment, they go on and they plot that Jesus would die and they clearly break the sixth and the ninth commandment because of a distorted view of the fourth. They have such a blind understanding of righteousness and that that's how they would relate with these people. And in Romans chapter 13, it's abundantly clear that, that, that the whole law, all of God's law is fulfilled primarily through love. Okay, in chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 10 of Romans says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And yet again, a distorted understanding of righteousness, a legalistic posture leads you to actually breaking the law, to unlove. And yet these religious leaders are blind to it. And then they're apathetic. Okay, for, first of all, they're apathetic toward this man. And again, as Mark writes this whole section there, um, the man's kind of a pawn. He's kind of a neutral character, right? And you could say that Jesus and these religious leaders both use this man who has a physical disability, and yet, these, these, um, and yet Jesus sees and he interacts with him and ultimately heals him. Yet in contrast to that, these, these religious leaders are blind and they're apathetic. Okay, they, and, and how much does this happen in the world around us? Where in both sides of the spectrum, we all can fall into this where, where the, the issue, right, becomes um, just something to, to engage with. And, and then the actual people affected by the issue we're apathetic toward. Again, and, and we're going to get into this on both extremes. This can happen on the far right, the far left, the religious, the irreligious, where, where, where people are involved. And yet, whatever, however we engage it, often the, the demographic or the issue that the people represent, we don't really care about or engage with or interact with. Right? Let's that sit in for a moment. Again, I trust wherever we come at these things, but in contrast to Jesus here, we see an apathy. And as um, some of us, I'm sure, have heard this quote before, but 
As D.E.H. Whitley says, the opposite of love is not wrath, but indifference. Apathy, just driving by, hey man, well, whatever, you know, to each his own or just, just going, just kind of, just kind of caught up in the world that, and there's just an overall indifference toward people who are hurting and broken. And ultimately we see in these Pharisees, their blindness and their apathy shows up in injustice. Okay. There's an injustice. Now read in verse six, what this leads them to, right? The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. We read that and we just think, okay, cool. They went out to plot with some people, but the first century audience that would be reading this would know the Pharisees and the Herodians hated each other. Right, the Pharisees saw the Herodians as ultimate sellouts. They were not worth relating to and interacting with. They hated them, but they were willing to tolerate them because they shared an even greater hate. It's Jesus. And not just an ambiguous idea, Jesus here, but specifically Jesus who loves. In this case, specifically Jesus who loves people that are difficult to deal with. Jesus who loves the culturally unlovable and even deeper, Jesus who loves in a way that is not comfortable. All right, at a time that is not comfortable, he loves on the Sabbath. Oh, well, we don't really do that. Oh, wait, you love that person in that way, that person who's hurt. And we talked about this some last week, different ways it shows up. That so much, so often our, our rules and our laws and our distorted view of righteousness leads us to lack of love. But Jesus doesn't, doesn't care about that. And that infuriates these people. These religious leaders are so offended by the fact that Jesus would love that they ultimately team up with someone that they would otherwise not do. I don't have to go down this too far, I think. And I, I, some people, all right, I, I know this might be offensive, but it just should be clear. And again, you see it on the far left and the far right, okay? I'm not playing favorites here, but look, do we not see this politically? I'm committed to this. I say vows to this. I agree with this, but, and those people don't. But in this moment, I have an opportunity now because we share a common hatred or we, we agree on this. So I'm gonna overlook all those things and just say, well, you have to choose. It's either this or that. So I'm gonna team up with this that I would otherwise six months ago, a couple years ago, abhor. I would never stand in solidarity here, but right now I'm gonna. Okay, because we're, we're aligned on this. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't have to do that. He, he, will, he will equally call out evil and sin. Amen? Uh-oh, is, is it getting a little uncomfortable? I think it is. That amen was a little less zealous than we're used to. But again, Jesus doesn't, doesn't do that. But these people, they have such a narrow view of righteousness. And they think, oh, this is the only way. So we're going to overlook lack of love in these people because at least we agree on these couple things. It's blind. It's blind to self. It's blind to need. It's blind to, there's no humility. There's fear. There's judgment. There's apathy. And it's ultimately evil. It leads to a plotting to kill Jesus because of his love, his radical love. So in stark contrast to that, we see Jesus' perfect love, which sees 
and grieves over and deals with sin. All right, pick up in verse one. Again, he entered the synagogue. Okay, so he's been there before, right? And if you've read through this, you know, okay, here it comes again, all right? Jesus is showing up. Things are about to happen. Again, Jesus enters the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. He sees the man and he sees the religious heresies. All right, so first of all here, Jesus sees this man. Again, the religious authorities, the Pharisees were apathetic about him. Okay? They, they saw him, but they saw him as an opportunity to trip Jesus up. Jesus sees what they're doing. We'll get to that in a minute. In a minute. He sees their hearts, all right, but not in spite of seeing this man's need. Okay, again, a, um, a, a first century audience would be looking at this and would know a bunch of things when they saw that there was a man with a withered hand in the synagogue. First of all, they would know where this was in the synagogue. They would know that it isn't in the innermost parts, that this guy couldn't go to to the temple and worship with all of God's people in purity and freedom and and safety because he has some kind of a a, um, disability. And, and, and so he would be um, one who would live a life of brokenness and shame. And we know from Luke chapter 6, all right, you can cross-reference, Dr. Luke notices more things than uh, Mark here, who likely got, the, got his account from Peter, right? We know about Peter. He was a little bit thick, thick-headed sometimes. But Luke noticed details, and it was important. Luke points out that this was this man's right hand, so this guy not only had a disability, but it was on his right hand, which if you know anything, sometimes even here today in the Near East, certainly at that time, if, you, if your right hand, you weren't able to use your right hand, that meant you had to do everything with your left hand. I'm left-handed. A bunch, my daughter's left-handed, my mom's left-handed, a bunch of people left-handed, probably got a few. How many left-handed people we have in here? I just want to know. How, oh, look at that. I knew there was something cool about our church. Got more. I think we're breaking the average there. But seriously, though, to be left-handed, you, you, couldn't, you, couldn't, um, you couldn't eat in someone's home because your left hand was used for all kinds of nastiness, all right? There wasn't uh, culturally in that day, you used your left hand for certain uh, functions in life, and then you used your right hand to greet, to eat, to you know, pat someone on the back, whatever you're going to do, all these things, right, to extend the right hand of fellowship. Well, if your right hand is not able to, to, to be used, you had to use your left, and nobody wanted to deal with that. So Jesus sees this man and his plight, and he tells him, stretch out your hand, and his hand is healed. Jesus sees, but again, he doesn't just see this man in his plight, that he's not so limited. He sees the bigger picture, too. He also sees the Pharisees. All right, I think that's important for us here to recognize the fact that he, he sees them, but he doesn't just dismiss them. He loves them enough to call them out. All right, how many of us in the things we're convicted about, the things that we see, we just figure they're not worth it? Jesus' loving posture, even toward these people that are, that are gonna plot to kill him, is that he loves them enough to call them out. 
He loves them enough to expose their sin. He has enough confidence. He has a strong enough posture, a, a, a strong enough conviction in what is true, right, good, and beautiful that he moves toward these Pharisees. He doesn't just heal the guy and say, hey, dude, come on, let's just forget those guys. All right, but he pursues their heart by calling them out. All right, I even see I have a, a friend here, I'm not gonna call him out, publicly, but who has said he's even used a, an expression about himself that in, in areas that the church is blind toward various injustices and, and, and systemic brokenness and the, and, the, and, the, and the discrepancy of people of color, um, particularly in the, in the majority evangelical church, my friend who's from majority culture, he's white, has said, look, I'm just, I'm not going to be quiet. God's just called me to consistently use my voice. All right, to, to, to love enough, okay, to love neighbor and then potentially even love those that infuriate us enough to speak, to move toward. Jesus sees. But notice something here. Time and time again as Jesus interacts with people, even people that you and I are infuriated, right? They, even his friends, right, elsewhere, they call down fire and brimstone from heaven. Like, Let's just rain down hate on these people, okay? These people, these religious people are, are just, they, they're, they're hopeless, Jesus. And, and he's, he doesn't ever leave with the people that start out as his enemies. He doesn't leave with the posture toward them as enemies, Okay, that doesn't mean that he doesn't speak the truth, that he doesn't bring the hammer, all right? But he does it in love because he sees the brokenness. He sees the Pharisees and he sees the man with a deformed hand. And then he grieves. Let's pick up in verses four and five. This is kind of the, the, the primary verses in this section are what Jesus does. We get a glimpse at Jesus's incredible heart he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Jesus grieves and he's angry. All right, we can pause for a moment here and consider the world around us. Some of the things we've talked about, right? The, the law that was passed in New York a couple of weeks ago about um, uh, the legalization of abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. Jesus is angry over that. It's evil. It's It's, it's murder. And some of us, though, know that in our heads, and we just get angry. And we start lobbing grenades on social me media. We start, we start saying things to people and about people, and we don't care who's around and who's gone through what. And we, again, can tend to walk with a blindness, and we just say things and just get angry. And that's it. And yet Jesus is angry, and yet without sin. Somehow Jesus is angry and yet he perfectly loves his neighbor. Somehow Jesus even hangs on a cross and says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He grieves over this evil in this case, this marginalization, this dehumanization of a, a life, of a beating heart. In this case, this man with a withered hand, he's grieved, but what's he grieved at? 
at their hardness of heart. He's angry about what's going on and he grieves those who are doing it. But not in a dehumanizing way, in a even greater humanizing way because he sees their hearts. He sees their hardness. Okay, I think as we read over this, we can, we can see, we can understand that, that Jesus sees the bigger picture, right? When we, he says, how did we get here? Okay, he understands what has happened to these people. What has happened to these Pharisees in their life? What kind of home did they grow up in that they have such a legalistic, broken, um, just judgmental, cold, heartless understanding of a relationship with God that, that he grieves over what they're doing. He's angry, but without sin. Somehow he's angry and yet with love. I, sh- I kind of came out of social media retirement um, this week, and, I'm, and then I went back in. So I'll s- see you again in three years. But no, I shared a video. Um, Robin mentioned um, um, Hands of Hope is a, is a ministry uh, to people who have been affected by unplanned pregnancy. And they intentionally use that language. And their executive director, Lisa Medina, shared a video about what, it, what has happened in New York, the law, law that passed regarding a abortion. And her language, every word used, was so strategic and incredible and, and I think Christ-like. And that's the only thing I've shared or engaged with in social media in like three years. But I said, okay, this is it. She said it really well. And I want to I wanna kind of further perpetuate this kind of Christ-like posture, because here's the, here's the deal. The way Hands of Hope, right, who, the way they engage with, with this issue, this, this terrible brokenness, this reality of unplanned pregnancy, is not just calling it dehumanizing, cruel terms, and, uh, into, and instantly um, separating and distancing someone who has gone through with an abortion, but they do it in a way by offering post-abortion counseling. They, they, they meet with, with, with either parent or grandparent or, or community affected by an unplanned pregnancy. They pray for and long and give, put their money where their mouth is and their time where they are. They sit across with real people and hold hands and, and, and cry and, and pray and engage with this, 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 this sin. Sin acted, sometimes in response to sin uh, uh, afflicted. It's so much bigger than just an easy little grenade, a little couple of words that you can just throw out there and then move on. Jesus's love leads him to see, to be angry, and then to grieve. Um, as I read and talked to uh, some others who are going to be preaching through the same thing, this, this quote came up of a man who said, I struggle with the idea of God's wrath. This guy, Miroslav Volf from, uh, from Croatia, said this, though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. And as you read more of that quote, it's because this man, is, this man grew up during the time of the Croatian slash Yugoslavian genocide and, and you know, hundreds of thousands of people killed in this, this horrible atrocity. And he said, having seen that, that a God that just sat back and was just our distorted version of love that didn't get angry, 
and, and, and just grieved, just kind of cried impotently, he said, I would struggle with that kind of God. But a God who, who gets angry because of his love, that, that, that's, the, that's the God of the Bible. That's the Jesus we see here who is angry and yet he grieves. And ultimately, Jesus deals with sin. He heals the man who is wounded, right? He doesn't just say, hey man, I'm sorry about your plight and then move on. I'll pray for it for you and then kind of go on from there, right? No, he stops right there. He does something. Now, can we heal everyone who has a def- to, uh, some sort of disability or some, some kind of pain or something? Can we just do that all the time? Or someone asked me after one of the last sermons, you know, what can we do um, to, uh, to <laughs> hey, folks, for us, you need, need a sit seat, buddy? That's all right. There's one right there. Yeah, absolutely. Got your back. Um, no, I hear you. Uh-oh, okay, hey, well, good. Well, we're, we're right there. So yeah, I just wanted to, um, to kind of, um, yeah, help us just kind of, kind of press in here and see that Jesus deals with sin. He doesn't just throw off platitudes and, you know, hey, whatever. He deals with it. He heals this man. But he also calls out the Pharisees, right? He calls out their, their, their blindness, their sin, and that's love. That's loving, all right? That we're meant to communicate with grace, in truth and in love over time, right? Some of you guys who have read uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend, these guys, they've really talked a lot about that, but grace and truth, right? Hear me, grace that is a distorted version of grace if it's lacking truth. If it's just, hey, whatever, right? It's all cool, man, just peace, you know? It's just, I don't know, light some incense, hold hands, whatever, you know? Um, that's, that's not real grace, <laughs> And if it's truth, it's just harsh and demanding and, and just bringing the hammer all the time and saying, this is my version of love because it's truth. Well, that's not really love if it's not really truth, if it's lacking grace. And so Jesus does something. He has grace and truth in love. But ultimately, Jesus deals with sin and brokenness and evil on the cross. Hey, honey, can you give me my water bottle? <clears throat> We're just really close here this morning, right? We got, we got Forrest walking around and having conversation, and I'm getting uh, choked up, um, losing my voice here. But, um, right, but I don't want to miss the cross. Okay, ultimately, we see Jesus dealing with sin, with grace and truth in love. He deals with sin by putting himself on the cross. He deals with sin by looking at evil and calling it out, but not not ultimately making an enemy out of those who are perpetuating evil and sin. All right, he hangs on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We know God's love because he demonstrates it by sending his son to die on the cross. Who fought for his friends? No, his enemies. He turns his enemies into his friends. 
What kind of a winsome approach and posture and engagement to brokenness? Again, I want to go back to, because I brought it up, I brought up abortion, unplanned pregnancy, evil and injustice in the world around us. Outside of the gospel, I am absolutely convinced we don't know what to do. We get angry, rightfully so, but it stops so short because we dehumanize. There are people in here this morning, I know statistically, who have been affected by unplanned pregnancy, even a abortion, perhaps who have even followed through on that choice. Do we just overlook that and say, oh, it's, you know, no big deal or whatever? No. We agree with the language used in Scripture of, of evil, of, of, uh, of, of death, of um, murder. But then we also point toward like the Apostle Paul who oversaw murder himself and then found hope and forgiveness and restoration and healing at the foot of the cross. Look at the cross. Judgment is blind and is apathetic and is unjust. But in Jesus' perfect love, we see his posture toward every one of us in this room. He sees. He sees enough to see your pain, and he sees enough and cares enough to see your evil. And he grieves. He's presently involved. He's not a God who is far off. He's a God who is near. He weeps. He grieves, he's angry, he's present, he's loving, and he deals with it. Ultimately, he deals with it on the cross. He died, and then he victoriously rose again so that through faith in him, there can be only through him healing, forgiveness, hope, love. So now, how do we leave here? How do we respond in worship? My prayer is that all of us would leave, first and foremost, understanding God's posture toward us. He loves you. He sees. He grieves. He's angry. And he loves. And he deals with your sin. And he forgives your sin. And he accepts you and he calls you to himself. And from there, and hear me only from there, Rightly understanding the gospel and his love toward us. We're now compelled, right, to live outward focus. To, to engage the broken world around us with a posture of bold and courageous love. And forgiveness and care and anger and grief. Living out the power of the gospel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Even now as we close, I, I just confess, Lord, I, I want to kind of hold all of us up before you. Lord, I pray that your spirit would do the work in us that you want to do. 
Lord, those here this morning, those of us, myself included, who need to be convicted by our own blindness to our own sin, Lord, the blindness to the pain around us, blindness to, to, to how you would call us to engage, and we've settled for a lesser love. We've taken an easy route and, and simply looked down on those who are not like us or, or not sought to understand why people do the things they do, and, and we just we kind of tap out easily. Lord, I pray that we would be convicted. Lord, I pray that we as a church, Redemption Tucson, Lord, I pray that we as a church, the evangelical church or your people, the, the, God, the people of God throughout the world, Lord, that we would grieve the ways we've been silent, the way we, we further perpetuated injustice and taken the path of least resistance because it, it takes too much work to speak up. Lord, I pray that we would grieve and confess that. And I trust that when we do that, we find you who are angry and who grieve Lord, but ultimately who deal with. And Lord, you forgive us. You're quick to forgive us. And then Lord, to restore us and to compel us and to fill us with your spirit. Lord, from there, my prayer is that we would engage the world around us with love. And Lord, lastly, those in this room who need to hear. And hear me right now, those who are in this room who just feel a weight. You've made decisions you're ashamed of, that you grieve over, you're angry about. Perhaps you've experienced it even within church, a, a, or maybe especially in church, a posture of judgment, of, uh, of hopelessness, that, 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 that we would come before the cross. See, Lord, that you are forgiving. Lord, you have already dealt with the sins that we've committed, the sins that have been committed against us. And Lord, you and you alone have given us a picture of hope, restoration, forgiveness. So again, through your spirit, I pray that we would lead however you would have us respond. In Jesus' name, amen.